Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't know if I can do it. We're not I, everything school HQ. Is it other things HQ besides football? Like it doesn't really roll off the tongue. Is it 50 days until basketball season? Is that what we're all thinking here on Rocky Top? Is Tony Vitello the only elite coach we have left here on Rocky Top? Is that the only one we can put our trust in anymore for a deep postseason run and being able to build off recruiting class after recruiting class? Is it is it just Tony V's world and we're all living in it? We're not going to go into all of that, but we're going to go into... What happened last night in the swamp as the Tennessee Volunteers fell once again uh, on the road, 29-16 in the swamp uh, to continue on their 10-game losing streak down in Gainesville with uh, their best shot they've had in those last 10 appearances, um, which is pretty scary if you're a Tennessee fan about when the next time Tennessee will be in a better position to grab a win and get that monkey off their back on the road. But to talk all about what happened in Florida last night, the man himself who has gotten, I don't even want to guess uh, how much sleep Rocky Top Insiders Ryan Shumpert has at this very moment. Ryan, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Very, very little sleep would be the answer to that question. But uh, those are the breaks uh, of games eight, nine hours away. So uh, excited. The big Titans got the win. Got my Oilers, got my Oilers sweatshirt on. Big win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, certainly a, a jolt of electricity I needed on this Sunday afternoon after uh, a long Saturday. Falcons did the same for me. I, I don't even know what I would be at this podcast if the Falcons did not take care of business late. Um, with the worst quarterback in the NFC, so shout out to the Falcons uh, for making do uh, with an absolute nothing burger uh, at quarterback. But hey, you made it happen. Also here, always college football's Jack Foster. Jack, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. When's the last time the Falcons were 2-0? 
you know? I don't know off the top of my head, but it's been a while. It. Here's how you know. It's been a while. Falcons have never hosted a playoff game in their new stadium that uh, was uh, debuted uh, what feels like six years ago, maybe? Seven? 2017. Six, seven. Yeah. yeah. Was it the ago. year after they went to the Super Bowl? Uh, yes. Yeah. No, 20. it was the year of. Oh, okay. So yeah, because I'm pretty certain we played. So what? Yeah, when they hosted a playoff game then? No, yeah. I guess it was the year after then. Yeah, you're right. I guess it was. Hmm. Yeah, I just know they have not hosted a playoff game in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So looking like that might be the case, unless the Bucks and the Falcons going back and forth atop the NFC South, just as we all predicted uh, before the year. And also um, a very sad, sad man, Ethan Stone, who had to watch uh, Justin Fields and first coach fired favorite Matt Everflus drop another one where Justin Fields threw a pick six from his own one on a halfback screen. Hate to see it. Ethan Stone, good evening. How are you? I'm awful. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I'm doing terrible. I'm sick of watching football. I'll tell you that much. But I need. I need. I just need a win. I just need someone to win. They I, should I, lose I, every game. They wear that orange. Like the Bears' yeah. orange uniforms are atrocious. I thought yeah. I liked them. I thought I liked them last year, and then I. I don't even remember what the game was. They played so bad in the game, but they, and I was like, never mind. I hate them. <laughs> Get rid of them. They're so. They bad. wore them against. Uh, they wore them against Washington on Thursday night football. Hmm. That's oh, and that, yes, yes, because because the Bears should have won that game and they didn't. That's why I was so upset. That doesn't sound like <laughs> they, the Bears. They, they should have won that game, but you know, as the Bears do, they 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 just find new and interesting ways to lose. So. But this isn't about the Bears; it's about the balls. No, but there are some parallels between those Chicago Bears today and what we saw last night in the swamp. Um, we start here. Twenty-four hours. I, part of the reason I like doing this the day after is we have. Uh, like I said, I would be kicked off YouTube if we did a post, uh, immediate post Tennessee podcast, uh, following uh, the ups and downs of the Tennessee football roller coaster. But um, 24 hours removed, your strongest takeaway you're still thinking about, uh, Jack Foster, what is it? Yeah, it was just about how Tennessee's defensive line applied little to no pressure on Graham Mertz and that Florida won in the trenches against Tennessee on that side of the football, which I did not expect. I thought Tennessee would you know, pressure Graham Mertz throughout the game and would do a good job of stopping the run. There's no you know, keeping Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson under 50 yards total or anything like that, but I thought they'd do a pretty decent job of stopping the run. They did not. And just how bad this defense continues to play in tough road environments. And we talked about Tennessee playing poorly as a whole in tough road environments specifically the defense has been a major issue and it showed last night i i too was stunned um, i think james pierce did have a good game and if you go back and watch it like he was getting like he was getting after graham mertz he was probably the uh, he flashed the most of anyone uh on the defensive line i think last night um for tennessee so i'm still not panicking there but joshua josephs i don't think he got a snap is that right he w- didn't see no. the field at all which not great, especially when you saw Roman Harrison. Just I want to believe, but it's just he's never getting home. Tyler Barron had a really bad game. Um, he didn't do a whole lot. He got held in a really obvious fashion at one point where he's like, I don't know what else I'm supposed to do uh, to draw a holding penalty. But um, Tyree West, I think, popped a little bit too. I think Tyree West was fine uh, in this one. I, I still feel pretty good about him. But uh, I think by and large, uh, the defense just getting pushed around by this florida offensive line um early and often was definitely something that i did not uh anticipate uh, and i'm sure Roddy garner and company did not anticipate either ryan what about you what was your what were you still thinking about what's your strongest takeaway following last night it's kind of twofold and jack when we're talking about this this tennessee team 2023 tennessee team what's my biggest takeaway it's 
that they got beat on both lines of scrimmage handedly, really, honestly. And football is there's a lot going on in football, but it's a pretty simple game. It's going to come down to quarterback play and the lines of scrimmage 95% of the time. And Florida was better in all three of those areas. And then I think maybe in the macro, just how that was the worst game in the Josh Heifel era and some of the concerns about Heifel that it raises and his staff as a whole. Uh, obviously, this is Tim Banks, but I thought the defensive game plan was made little to no sense. Soft zone coverage against a guy that – against a quarterback that really can't throw the ball down the field at all. Um, there was just, I thought, a lot of worrisome things. And Tennessee looked like a team that was, was not very well coached. And I said it on our Rocky Top Insider preview podcast on, I guess it was Thursday, and I really – I wrote about it last night too. You know, Josh Heupel was the coach that he looked like last year, which was a guy that is one of the best – 5'10 in the country, an elite head coach. Tennessee doesn't lose to Florida. They don't lose to this Florida team on the road. And Tennessee just – I didn't see – I saw a scenario where they lost. I didn't see a scenario where they got uh, really thoroughly handled the way they did. Yeah, I think I still struggle with how much I put on Hypel here versus, like you said, the soft stuff. And this kind of speaks to it, and I want to get y'all's perspective on this. Uh, still no turnovers forced last night. So they have one through three games. I think that's part of it is they just play this bend, don't break. They play a lot of soft zone coverage. They don't get after guys. They don't trust the back end at all. And I'm sure that's part of the reason that they're not doing a whole lot of press man and sitting in the house and everything else is they don't trust him. The problem with that, and this speaks to what you're talking about, Ryan, where it's like, make Graham Mertz prove to you first that he can throw down the field. That whole game, it was just the middle of the field. It was uh, Graham Mertz just dialing it up close early and often. Their best playmaker goes down after his first drive with uh, Wilson where he was dicing him up. Then he leaves the game and doesn't come back. Make them do something on the edge. We saw it a year ago. Anthony Richardson was having to do everything with nothing with Ricky Pearsall and company. And like Tennessee was getting home and do I think last year was far more active going after Florida's front than they were yeah. uh, against the worst quarterback in Graham Mertz. So yeah. I didn't understand why they weren't sitting in the house. Aaron Beasley was a non-factor on the pass rush for most of the day. I didn't really understand because he's so good at knowing when to time those blitzes and what we've seen for the first two weeks. I'm surprised he wasn't more active. Um rushing the passer but i think we all tennessee fans writers or whatever would understand if you at least got burned a couple times you're like all right we have to go back to what we were but like make graham mertz prove it because like he hasn't to this point there were no downfield throws from graham mertz like it wasn't like oh he took one no there was nothing past 20 yards from graham mertz through the air in this game and they still dice this team up and did exactly what he needed to do and i think that's where i if i'm tim banks i'm like what what were you you weren't really putting the Stevens, especially after they were able to just do whatever they want early and often like why would you not change things up when uh, ten, uh florida just dominates the second quarter the way they did um and just really getting no pressure at all like you have to switch things up you have to do something else and i mean i understand kamal Haddon and company were really bad and you didn't have to nico slaughter in this game who was a late scratch that none of us saw coming like that that all matters i get it but I don't think it's an excuse for not sending the house and not being more aggressive on that defensive front. I didn't understand that uh, game plan at all. Yeah, yeah I felt I, like good, Ryan. It just kind of goes into the greater point that I felt like that was the first time in Josh Heifel's tenure where Tennessee's offense style really hurt them. You mm-hmm. know, you always we always talk about we always know there's a downside to that tempo when it can really flip on you in the game, and, and that's the first time it happened. And I think that goes almost hand-in-hand with the bend-don't-break defense Tennessee has really largely played for the entire Josh Heupel era. 
when the drives were bad, uh, when teams were going 12 play touchdown drives against Tennessee the last two years, you had the security blanket that Hendon Hooker was at the very least going to get some first downs and move the ball. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't going to be three and out right back to Florida. And that's what it really consistently was. And, uh, the way Florida played that game, I thought was so similar to the way Kentucky played Tennessee in 2021, Hypo's first season. Mm. Long drives, short passing, lean on the run games, stay in front of the sticks. Tennessee couldn't get off the off the field on third down in either of those games. Uh, but you know, you that game it didn't matter. Tennessee's offense was so good; they scored quick. You make all the jokes about time of possession that you want, whatever it was, 45 to 15. Saturday night at Florida, you saw the downside of that and how bad and how quickly things can spiral if the offense can't stop the bleeding in that situation. No, and I mean, like Ricky Gibson, I don't know what else he has to do to get on the field more. And I think when Tennessee fans are like, well, it's young, the staff's like they're freshmen. It's like, we saw Alante Taylor and Bryce Thompson start as true freshmen. It's not like this is unheard of that these guys, these are two NFL players uh, at this point. And I just, Gabe Judy Lolly was fine, but Kamal Haddon cannot be the starter going forward anymore. I think that has to go. Um, I mean, I'm okay with Kamal Haddon never being on this Tennessee team going forward um uh, based on what we saw like it the ending was not a great look um the just the weird <laughs> uh faux tackle on the big run by okay. ET was yeah. just one of the worst you'll see I mean and and it wasn't just that play like that was yeah. the most egregious but he missed a lot more tackles outside yes. of that too he was it was bad an, unwill- bad. an unwillingness to tackle that this is <laughs> Truly and it only works is if you're a great a coverage guy, yeah. right? Like you yeah. live with it. If Kamal Haddon is a elite coverage guy that they don't throw your way, they don't target you, but that's not how it is. So it's like, you're getting targeted a bunch. And then on the run, like they're like, you're taking these terrible angles and you're just a truly awful tackler. And it's nothing against Kamal Haddon personally, but it's like at certain point you have to adjust. You have like, there's no, you can't tell me Ricky Gibson would be worse. You can't tell me that Jordan Matthews would be worse than what we're seeing there. Um, and, I mean, Warren Burrell, I think, had the worst coverage grade of anyone uh, last night per PFF. So he had he had his struggles as well, and he missed some tackles. Like, that was just not working. Tamarian McDonald, I think, may have had the worst game as a Tennessee volunteer, especially in a big game. Um, he missed a lot, yeah. and he was the one who missed it before Kamal uh, just went in and didn't put his arms out. That was Tamarian uh, who, uh, who blew that up. Um, and missed uh, inside. So I think that was all big. And I also, uh, Ethan, the way I looked at it too, I think Aaron Carter flashed a lot uh, in run defense, especially. I think he was clearly fast and clearly someone who Tennessee's going to be able to count on uh, long-term. Elijah Herring had a rough game. Um, and I think Tennessee really missed Keenan Peely more than they did against Austin P. because I think a lot of that stuff in the middle of the field gets cleaned up if Keenan Peely is roaming the middle with Aaron Beasley. And I know that won't be talked about as much, but I don't know if you felt the same. A strong takeaway I jotted down was like, I think Keenan Peely would have, I'm not saying Tennessee would have won, but I think he would have cleaned up a lot in the middle of the field um, uh, as opposed to what we saw from Elijah, who was, I think, in over his head a lot. Yeah, you can you can tell that the coaching staff was kind of banking on Peely being a major guy and losing him after week one. I mean, I, I wrote, I remember for an SDS article, I don't even remember what it was on, um, but, but just saying that like, I mean, if you're expecting Pele to be that dude the entire season, then all of a sudden he's gone, and and now you're forcing, you know, Elijah Herring, who has promise, Arian Carter, who has promise, but they're not proven guys yet. They're not uh, what Pele was against Virginia, and and it's you know, I I would agree with you there. I don't think him not playing was the biggest problem. I think everything you guys just outlined was probably the biggest problem. You know, you know, uh, at, at a point I was kind of watching all sorts of games. I was 
kind of flipping between Auburn and Arkansas just because that's kind of what I'm necessitated to do. But when when I'm on the Tennessee game and my wife comes up to me and says, "Did you see that tackle by that number five like that?" <laughs> or or the, bro, but by it's like, what was that? Was, he just ran into him. And he mm. just ran into him and he kept running. And it's like, okay, that's that's probably not going to work. When my wife is noticing that kind of stuff, it's probably time for Adam to get the boot. You know, <laughs> that, that's that's that would be my biggest takeaway from the defense. <laughs> I just. And we'll end the takeaway here. I mean, my strongest takeaway, too, that I'm still thinking about is I don't think Hypel, based on the recruiting on the offensive line to this point, and I think what we saw, and we can get into Mincy, and which I think was a terrible look by the staff um, to have him play special teams and not play any right tackle um, in this one, especially with Crawford, who was clearly the worst tackle in this game, worst offensive lineman. Um, and it wasn't even particularly close um, in this one. Carriage was terrible in, run, in, in the run game. And uh, jo- I just imagine Jalen Wright just like, are you sure you want me to go off Carriage? Or, or are you sure, Carriage? Can we go to the right? Can can I go off Sprags? Uh, can we please not go that direction? Um, but I just look at it and I'm like, look, the Joe interception was terrible where he gets hit. But they Florida sent three on that, on that play that ended up being a pick, uh, the duck from Joe Milton. I look at it where... If you're not going to invest heavily in the recruiting uh, process, in the offensive line, in the trenches, I don't think you can have a pocket passer in this hypo offense. I think they have to be able to be mobile because there was stuff where Hendon would have found lanes because they Milton could have ran. There was stuff, if you go back and rewatch it, like Milton could have done stuff if he was a more mobile quarterback and more comfortable running with the football. But because this offensive line is so much worse than a year ago, the issues with this hypo offense and the stop start situations are amplified because that's just not Joe. And Joe, I think is a lot better than what he was two years ago. It's just, it's not going to work or it's always going to have problems when you have the offensive line that Tennessee does. And you have the type of quarterback that Joe is that I just think, look, if you're not bringing in the Darnells, the Wanya Morris's uh, year in, year out, and you are going to invest in the Mike Matthews and the Caleb Beasley's and the Kai Bates, whatever, like you're going to go that route, then you have to prioritize mobile quarterbacks. You have to prioritize guys who can do stuff with their legs when the offensive line talent just isn't there because Florida pushed this offensive line around I think we're going to see that the majority of this year because <laughs> I don't know where the bodies are coming from. Like South Carolina should push this offensive line around. You're looking at, because I mean, they had their way against Georgia a little bit. You get worried about Mizzou, who looked really good last week. And yeah. how is that going to look um, against this Tennessee offensive line? So I think for me, I just, I can't escape the fact that I think Milton is kind of doomed because of his style mixed with the current state of the Tennessee offensive line. So I think you just kind of need to, need to adjust you can't do this so when people are afraid of nico i'm like nico can move i don't think nico's gonna be sitting in the pocket the same way that joe does and i i'm not as worried about nico getting hurt that other people seem to have about his size and what have you i'm not saying i'm calling for nico but what i'm saying is like nico in the future nico next year behind a weak tennessee offensive line i think he's gonna be able to move around i think he's gonna be able to do stuff on the run that joe is just not an off-platform freelancer that you just have to be in this offense and it's just this is not coming. That's a fair point. Com- yeah, yeah, I think it's the combination of that and not being able to really throw the ball in the intermediate. Like that's yeah. a really bad combination. You yeah, need to have at least one of those. If you're having to wait for plays to develop and mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. But also this talking point, you know, doesn't really help right now because it is what it is for Tennessee. So 
Tennessee's not a quarterback away from competing for the SEC East right now. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's how that's how I look at it. So what's what's the point in and and throwing Nico out there and just letting him get eaten alive behind that offensive line? I've kind of walked back my take from last night. Well, mm. uh, I was talking to everyone uh, for people listening. I said pretty much that Joe kind of has to go because the offense just needs to change the pace. Sure, the offense needs to change the pace, but I'm not sure that Nico. Uh, I mean, the throwing Nico in there maybe against UTSA, sure. You know, maybe against, I don't know, Kentucky, someone that doesn't have a pass rush. But when you get to the point where where Milton can't move around, like we've said, and he's not deadly accurate in the intermediate game, so you can't kind of quell some of those problems. I, I don't necessarily think that behind that offensive line, even if Nico is more mobile than Joe, which, you know, remains to be seen as of right now, I don't think it'll help that much. It, it, it's just exactly what you said. It kind of is what it is at this point. Ryan, more to blame from last night's disaster. Joe Milton, the offensive line, Tim Banks, or Josh Heupel? Who gets the most amount of blame for you in what happened last night? Well, I think in the in the larger scheme of thing, obviously everything goes back to the coaches. Um, you know, that's where it's their job to have the team ready to play. And Tennessee was favorites and a more talented team. They clearly didn't. I think just looking generically at what happened in the game, I would probably say Tim Banks and the offensive line. Offensive line just didn't give Tennessee much of a chance uh, offensively. And again, it goes just with the same sentiment of you not being able to throw it in the intermediate. When Tennessee's spiraling in the second quarter, they have four straight first downs, start, false start, false start, false start, timeout, including the timeout to open the drive. So you're just, if you can't throw it in the intermediate, you're immediately playing against it. And Tennessee's offensive line couldn't hold up at all. And then obviously we kind of touched on it already. The defense in the second half and the fact that Florida went full Georgia mode last season yeah. and just ran the ball and played clock control and said, you cannot catch up to us with your offense, won't make it look as bad. Man, that loss, that performance from Tim Banks' defense is pretty close to as bad as the South Carolina one last year. It feels like a, yeah. a strike, too, and if Tennessee loses, especially if Tennessee can salvage some things this year and salvage a respectable season. Obviously, Tennessee's not going to achieve any of the big goals that they set out to before the season. But if you make it respectable and you lose another game where the defense doesn't show up, it's hard to think Tim Banks is back as Tennessee's defense coordinator next season. Yeah, go ahead, Jack. Yeah, I'll put it on the coaches too. And I thought there was you know, some lack of discipline last night, of course, with the poor tackling, but also the pre-snap penalties. And it just feels like, like kind of going back to what I said earlier, when they're in these tough road environments, it's hard for Tennessee to overcome any sort of adversity. Like when mm -hmm. Florida goes up, you know, 26 to seven, it's the put the fork in Tennessee, they're done because they're not coming back. Even with the quarterback change, yeah, I just, I didn't see it. And especially with Joe Milton leading the way, I did not see a way Tennessee could come back and win that game. And they're just not built to play that style of football. So, yeah, I, I go back to the coaches on this one. Um, I thought Josh Heupel should have taken a lot more chances earlier in the game. It kind of felt like they started taking more chances late, and then they were working, but it was too little too late. So Tennessee needed to start throwing the ball downfield a lot earlier in the game, and it didn't happen. Of course, time of possession didn't go their way at all in the first half, so they are a little bit hindered in that sense, but ultimately this goes on the coaches for me. Ethan, did it feel like to you too? Like I, I think Jack is right, especially in the fourth quarter where they started. Like they just started Dante Thornton. All right, sink or yeah. swim, man. Like this is awesome. we're throwing you the ball. Go make a play. And he didn't get a defensive pass interference call, which he should have gotten. Um, the dude was early and all over him. There was a lot about officiating that we'll get to in a second. But you look at that and you started force feeding Brew the ball, who I think was actually a sneaky big winner here. Is that Brew McCoy? Um, I think has 
it, that was like the Cedric Tillman breakout game to me against Pitt. That's what it reminded me of uh, a little bit late. Obviously, you don't get the result you wanted, but I think that is uh, that's a big takeaway. Is just Brew I think is going to get a uh, lion's share of the targets going forward. If Tennessee um, saw anything from that game, it's like, hey, good things happen. Brew McCoy has the ball in his hands, and he is a pain in the ass to tackle. That man loves contact. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard this or not. But like on the broadcast, sometimes they'll mention that he was a, a defensive end in, in high school and that he may or may not uh, have a defensive end uh, body frame and everything else and that he switched to wide receiver. It's one of those things like Matt Stafford and Clayton Kershaw were roommates, little things that a lot of folks uh, may or may not uh, hear on uh, sports broadcast. But Ethan, who do you put it on? Is it Tim Banks for you? Is it Josh Heupel as a whole? Who Who is it ultimately fall on for you? I'm not going to put it on either of Heupel or Banks specifically, but it's it's like what Ryan and, and Jack said. It's it's on the coaching staff because I mean you're you're we're, we've been kind of focusing on the defense not showing up to play. And yes, I agree. I mean it's very reminiscent of what South Carolina was last year. But uh, to Jack's point, the offense. I mean there there wasn't much variability for lack of a better term. I, I mean where Dylan Sampson didn't really play at all. And I'm not saying that would have solved anything, but why don't we get some like pitches going? Why, why don't we, I, like, at a certain point, Florida and all these other teams that have watched the tape, like they, they see the screens, they see the stuff that isn't working and that Tennessee is still trying to kind of, do. I mean, how many, how many times did we see Jalen Wright and Jabari small just to hand off off the middle? Mm. It's, it's, it's that yeah. kind of stuff. It's like, Hey, let's get some, you know, some, some different things so that not only can Florida's crowd not be just, killing you the entire time once you get into a hole but you can kind of punch them in the mouth a little bit tennessee didn't look great to start against austin p either look pretty good to start against virginia but the past two games they haven't come out and just punched their opponent in the face they're not acting as if they have an offense that last year was incredible and obvious obviously a lot of people are gone but it's like i i guess i had more faith in hypel's ski and there's still a lot of time it's just it's kind of hard to I mean there's a lot of time for him to adjust and make his adjustments that that he can see fit but I just have not been very I guess enthralled uh with, with just how Tennessee has approached trying to move the ball when things just aren't working yeah and I here's something else to note they've lost three of their last five SEC games um I don't know if that's a growing trend I don't know if that's something we need to jot down as like uh-oh um, are we on the downward trend here in year three? And there was a lot of concern about Hypel in year three uh, based on his UCF time. So I don't know. I'm not there. Like I said before the year, either there's no drop off whatsoever and this team is competing for the East and they're 11 and one or they are down to the seven and five range and things go disaster, disaster zone. Everyone was pretty comfortable. Nine and three, 10 and two. I was like, I just... I don't think it was, it never felt to me like it was going to be that kind of clean season, that clean, just kind of bounce back year. You look right so far. And, you know, I I was uh, leading the, leading the charge saying that Florida was terrible and that Tennessee was going to go into the swamp and, you know, just dominate. But, and obviously I look dumb now, but, I, well, I don't yeah, think I so away. because I think ten, I think Florida's still bad. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. Say, I, I think Florida's still going to struggle to make a bowl game. Yeah, I yeah. come away from this game still thinking Florida isn't like just turned it around all of a sudden. Tennessee's just way worse than I thought. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think Tennessee on the road, though, and I think maybe, Ryan, you can speak to this too. They're going to be at home basically for the next month. Um, so, yeah, this stinks to uh, just completely uh, flop like you did in the swamp. But you get UTSA at home who just lost to Army at home that'll be nice so that should be a win your 17 point favorites 
you have time to get that back. And then South Carolina, that's at home. That'll be good. Uh, South Carolina's banged up to this point, two early losses. It looks like they gave their best shot to Georgia on the road. That was a physical game. We'll see what that looks like uh, after this week. But South Carolina's going to be banged up and just they don't look like they should be uh, the same South Carolina team that uh, dashed Tennessee a year ago. And then you get a bye before uh, Texas A&M. Um, and we'll see what that looks like. But Texas A&M at home, we'll see what they look like in a month. But those are all home games. So this stretch, I think, is coming at a welcome time. So I'm still not ready to hit the full panic meter because I think they actually have an opportunity uh, based on their schedule to clean up a lot of stuff. But I think it's going to be it's going to be tough. And I think certain guys have to be back. Tennessee has to make some very hard choices on how they approach the offense, how they approach Joe, how they approach the offensive line, the secondary. This is over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be very fascinating to see what tough choices and what adjustments they end up making. But is it fair to say, Ryan, that the sky is not falling and that they getting home for the next month actually might be a blessing, a big time blessing for the balls? Definitely. I think the season is still very salvageable in the sense of like having a respectable year. You know, nine three is probably still on the table. Certainly doesn't feel likely after last night. But I mean, I think eight and four is, you know, a perfectly fair ex- yeah. expectation at this point. And well, it's kind of we said it last week. The best thing on best thing to say about Tennessee through three weeks is the Georgia game is the only game that it's like they're not winning that game. And certainly Georgia looks flawed, too. But everybody else. And they only got to go to one more true tough environment and play when, you know, it's going to be a rowdy crowd that you would think would give them a lot of the issues they've had on the road in those last whatever four SEC games that you talked about. So, yeah, it's not falling. South Carolina, sky's not falling yet. You know, South Carolina feels like a circle of the wagons game for sure to me. Like, if Milton plays good in that game, you can stabilize things and yeah. – get things back on the right track and have a season that's, you know, not terrible by any means. If you lose that game, you worry about, I think, things crumbling in the locker room, things, you know, spiraling a little bit. And then it's kind of, you get to the point of, all right, what's the season have left for Tennessee? It's time to just, whether Nico is your best option or not. And at this point, I still don't think he probably is. Whether he's your best option or not, it's like, let's just get him some practice, get him some playing time for next year. And I do think that's one point I would make on the quarterback situation. And Tennessee does make a change. You know, Tennessee's got two quarterbacks, two scholarship quarterbacks. Be real easy for six-year senior Joe Milton to check out if he gets benched. And Nico, I know Chase, you said you're not as worried as as some are about him getting injured, but he gets injured. All of a sudden, got a really, really dicey quarterback situation where things can spiral past just you having a really bad season and spiral to you having a disastrous season where you lose games the teams that are significantly worse than you because your quarterback situation is so poor yeah i think that's fair i mean i don't know does he does joe strike you as like if he did get benched that he would do the marcus Mariota uh from a year ago with the falcons i don't know i don't think think like that where he's not gonna play i just think it's you know there's a lot you can't turn back to him if you go the other way yeah, there's a lot of middle ground between being completely locked in and mm-hmm. preparing as the starter and doing the Marcus Mariota. There's a lot of going through the motions and not doing a lot of preparation and not being super dialed in. To add to that, there'd be there's something to say certainly about being benched three or four times during your career and especially, you know, six year season as Ryan just said. I mean, I like like Ryan just said it's not like he's not going to play, but I mean, he's certainly going to be dejected at the very best. I mean, Hypo's got to be careful here because you could lose. Joe's popular and Joe's likable guy and everyone is rooting for Joe. 
none of it's malicious. And I think if you look at through the Tennessee message boards, everyone just feels bad. Like everyone feels bad for it going the way it does for Joe. But like at a certain point, the goal is still to win as many football games as humanly possible. And if you think, look, this season's a wash, that's how we'll know. It's like not even that you want to salvage the year, but if Nico gets a start, uh, Joe struggles against UTSA, it's like they're not putting in Nico to like try and win the East. They're putting Nico because they're like, we got to get him reps for next year. And like this season is like whatever because uh, we have uh, enough losses where it's just we're not gonna be able to do what we need to do but i think more than anything i want to before i like put any final stock in joe i want to see left tackle john campbell left guard ollie lane center cooper mays right guard spragans right tackle mincy just give me a two-week stretch like hopefully that's utsa and south carolina at home and let me see what that looks like because I think Mincy is still a good right tackle. I think he should be playing. And what we saw this week with Mincy not playing uh, regular snaps, but he's allowed to play special team snaps. Like very bizarre. It's very bizarre, but it's also like one of those where it's like there's no excuse. Like you either don't let him play yeah. and at all, or you start him. Like Crawford is out here. Like look, Crawford was just awful. There's no way around it. He was the lowest graded uh, PFF. Uh, lineman in this game he was bad in pass pro bad in run blocking like he was just bad and like even the thing you can play him a little bit rotate you've seen it all year they rotated him all last year like i get you want to discipline or whatever but like that's not even discipline that's just dumb to have him playing and that when your offensive line's getting killed the way you you were i just there's no defense for that like the mincy thing i mean that's one of the more bizarre crazy things hypo's done in three years is i just don't understand how that happens Almost as bizarre and crazy as taking a timeout with six seconds left. I, I, that was I, what? What in the world was his plan? Like, was I, he just trying to stick it to the officials? Is that genuinely I, no, what I was he, he trying was, to get his team to be like, "Hey, this is what's happening right now"? Like, what? What was his thought process? I think he was upset about Florida prolonging the game because Florida mm-hmm. took a timeout and then took a delay game where they were just all on the sideline pumping up the crowd. I think it was almost like a fu back to Florida for that. I don't yeah. know regardless, know that, I think, but regardless, I I don't know about that, man. I <laughs> also, can we? Hype is not wrong though about like Graham dancing around. Like it was one of yeah, those no, where it was right. like you knew what you were doing. Like Graham, That's, like I understand Amari shouldn't have hit him, it but wasn't like bad at all. It wasn't all no, like, but like you knew you were dancing around. He's no, trying to pull up. Like That's why oh, they removed yeah, the targeting call. Yeah. I mean, that was called targeting to begin with, kind of crazy. I mean, he like barely shoved him in the chest as he's like trying to pull up. Yes. Uh, that whole thing was a much worse look, I think, than it was in actuality for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And it's genuinely shocking to see that Kamal Haddon was right in the middle of it. <laughs> I love football players squaring up with helmets on. It's one of it's oh, an all time great. great pastime. Well, Omar Norman Lott, by the way, coming in with a haymaker. I don't out know. Of nowhere, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> he he comes in out of nowhere. nowhere. Superman <laughs> punch right into the pile. <laughs> he wasn't think he's going to get suspended? Is Omar going to get suspended for this week? That's a good question. I don't it, know. I don't know either. He'll be allowed on special teams. Um, <laughs> uh, I just, what was the worst? Because this was actually like, I'm not the whole, like, let me be clear. Two things can be true. One, officiating is not the reason Tennessee lost. Two, this was one of the most poorly officiated Tennessee games I have seen in a really, really long time where Hypel 
like Heupel should have actually lost his mind at the ref <laughs> substitution issue. Like that was one yes. of those where like the get back coach, take the penalty, do whatever you got to do. Cause like the plays over, they shouldn't have snapped the ball. Like, I don't know what you were doing with that play call. Even after like, just give up, kick the field goal. Like they screwed you. That was insane to still run a play and then run that fourth, uh, fourth and short, which again, guess what? Another problem for Tennessee and Heupel era, uh, fourth and short and third and short and the short yardage. Stuff it wasn't a problem last year. They were amazing yep. at it last year. Well, no, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. It it was such a problem the first year that it's back. They thought we we thought they were past this, and they are very much yeah. not past this. No. Um, but what was the worst officiating blunder of the night for you, Jack? Yeah, it's it's the legal substitution thing. Um, that it's just talk about blunder. I it took me a while to actually understand what had happened, mm-hmm. and then once I understood what happened, yeah, that that was the worst one. I, I just don't know how you kick the ball and then. <laughs> Yeah, there's just so, so so much that goes that was wrong with that. So, uh, I mean, to me, that takes the cake. I don't even know if it's close. It no. really, really, really puts Tennessee in a bad spot because not only like does, I mean, Hypo wants to go fast, obviously, to get mm. to because they're tired. You know, that's obviously number one what he's trying to do. But once he kicked the ball, like what? Like, sure, the the obvious idea in the moment is to take a field goal, but you don't like you can't waste a timeout at that point. Tennessee's no. wanting to, yeah, you know, they're they're trying to crawl back into this thing. So what do you do? Like, Heifel is just kind of like, and then then we saw what happened. And would that have happened either way without the kicking the ball? Probably not. So it's like I agree, I agree with what Chase said when he first introduced this topic. What Heifel should have been got like full freak out. Yeah, when, when that happened. Yeah, I don't know why they snapped. I would have. Yeah. I mean, oh, I would have taken the penalty, so you can't snap it. Like, Heupel should have been at... Like, that is something I've never could he seen. Not have re- yeah. Could he not have, like, requested, like, a... Review or something. Uh, 25 yeah. second, let's run the play clock again. Like, I don't yeah. get why Tennessee couldn't have yeah. done that if they... Re- I mean, I don't, I don't know the rules. <laughs> to me, what was so strange about it, and maybe I'm wrong about this, I haven't gone back and watched it, like, the ball got kicked... But it, it didn't. He didn't go re- grab the ball and respot it right after he got kicked. He had like mm-hmm. moved back, yeah. and then someone else came in. It, it was, it was all very yeah, like the ball got moved back, but the ref in the back was like, "Hey, wait, we have to stop the we yeah. have to stop the play because the ball was moved." And at that point, Heupel, like the entire team is just like, "Okay, what the hell's that? Like, what's what's going on here?" <laughs> but also, <laughs> you know? Tennessee didn't sub, which was the other problem with this. Like yeah. Tennessee didn't sub, like Florida sub. So it was one of the yeah. that shouldn't have been allowed to happen. So. There was just a hodgepodge and then the pass interference stuff where Tante Thornton obviously had an egregious one. Uh, there was a lot of stuff where Tennessee yeah. took some shots and they were not getting them. Uh, they were not getting anything deep, but it was also they should have been taking those shots. And that was something that kind of annoyed me is like Tennessee was getting open and Tennessee <laughs> was actually succeeding in the fourth quarter, taking deep shots. And maybe that speaks, uh, Ethan, where the thing about Joe and Nico, it's not even just that, like, which way do you go? I think through three weeks, it just the side to side stuff. Some of the play calling by Heupel, you're just like, oh, so we're just doing a. <laughs> what was the what was the drive where I think he did it to? There was a penalty or something, and then Jalen Wright. It was like third and nine, and they just call a basically a flare to Jalen Wright on the side where he gets a yard, and you're like, oh, what? Why? What was the point of all of that? You're just kind of uh, you're just kind of uh, giving up in a way where. If you have Joe Milton and you're at this point, especially on the road, you live and die with the deep stuff, live and die with the deep shots and taking these chances, because I don't understand the point of playing it safe with Joe through three weeks. Like he's got the bazooka arm. You've seen the best version of that. You've seen the worst, but like this isn't working. The side to side stuff isn't working. You might as well take the training wheels off. And if Joe flames out, 
playing the style that Hinden did last year and flames out, throwing it deep and uh, gets killed in pass pro, whatever. But at least you're going down with the offense that uh, was the best offense in the country a year ago and not what we're seeing to this point. Because I don't think it serves anybody any favors changing your style and kind of putting the training wheels on, especially on the road in Florida. Because that's what it felt like to me. I don't know if it felt like that for y'all, that the training wheels are still oh, very yeah. much on. Yeah, There was clearly yeah, he didn't trust very him. little trust that Heifel uh-huh. had in Milton in that game. Yeah. I mean, as a Tennessee Titans fan, no one knows started long concessions <laughs> more than I do. It's like third and seven. The Titans might as well just trot the punt unit out there. And there were three instances in that game where it was third and long in Tennessee. One of them was the screen pass to Jalen Wright you mentioned. One of them, they ran Jabari Small right up the middle. Yeah. And another, they threw a screen pass to Squirrel White. And Squirrel White actually made an exceptional play, run after catch, and Tennessee got the first down. But three different third downs. And I think the run play was maybe like 15-plus. So that's a little bit different. But two of those, like you said, are third and ten in Tennessee's essentially just conceding the drive in a game where his defense was not getting stops. And it wasn't like you're playing field position with a lot of trust in your defense. Ethan, which PFF grade matched the most of what you saw on Saturday night for Tennessee? Um, Brew McCoy's honestly should have been a little higher. I hmm. and Now, like I said, th- this is a kind of difficult question for me to ask because I was not on the game the entire time. I was like, I mean, I had it on this main TV, but I was kind of watching others too. So it's kind of harder to... Uh, to go the individual route. I think Aaron Beasley had a perfectly fine game. I think of like a 71 is this is where he was at. I, I think that's fair. I think Brew's number was pretty fair. Um, I didn't see much of Dante Thornton. I saw that he was the highest graded wide receiver. And the bits that I did see from Dante Thornton, I thought that was fair. It's it's kind of hard because I, I just wasn't paying attention to drops, to bad routes, to stuff like that. So it's a little uh, difficult for me to kind of decipher that from there. But I do think Brew McCoy... I was kind of thinking to myself after the game, I was like, wow, what can I take from that performance that wasn't awful? And I landed on two of them, and only one of them was really serious, and it was Brew McCoy and then Jackson Ross. I mean, the, the dude had, had two punts yeah. inside the 20. At least he didn't boot it off his leg for 11 yards, you know. Uh, yeah. That's it. I mean, it, it's sad to say that, but those Hold two. Hold on, Charlie Campbell, also money. That there, was a preseason. Yeah. Money. I, that was with just. He finally has a kick yes. that we can yes. talk about. So with, you're with right. Apologies to Charlie Campbell. Absolutely, he did special teams. Tennessee legend Charlie Campbell. Yeah. Bat thousand. Saw Serena spokesperson. I don't know if y'all yes. have seen that. I saw the first ad of the day. <laughs> there you go. Wow. Everything coming up. You're welcome, Charlie. Mm. You're but welcome. yeah, that. Mm. I mean, I I think Brew McCoy would be my answer there. He he played fine. Uh, otherwise, just a dreadful performance. Jack, what about you? Who matched the most, positive or negatively, their PFF grade? Um, yeah, like Kamal Haddon getting the worst PFF grade uh, <laughs> in, as far as tackling category. I know he didn't have the worst overall on the defense. I think Wesley Walker and Tamarian were lower, but, you know, and Walker had a 26.3 tackling grade. But just, yeah, I think PFF probably should have reflected it even more of how bad a night Haddon had, but it did a fine job of it too. So, I mean, this it's, it's one of the worst individual defensive performance I remember seeing in my two and a half years of watching Tennessee very closely. I'll put it that way. Ryan, what about you? The big three on the offensive line, Ollie Lane, uh, Andrej Carrick and Jeremiah Crawford. Uh, I mean, they, the interior of the offensive line seemed to be getting carved in frequently. Jeremiah Crawford had a a dreadful night and uh, all the PFF grades for those three guys all, all checked out. They were uh, all three Tennessee's, 
lowest rated guys at least played. I think 18 snaps was a uh, 25% this week, 16 snaps. Uh, those three were, were Tennessee's lowest graded offense players. And that, that checked out watching Tennessee play offense last night. But I do think Ollie played the best of those three. And I think he had the bad penalties and he had that one bad drive. But outside of that, I think he settled in. I think he was also better than Dane Davis. I think Dane Davis was sneaky awful uh, at center this week. I don't think he, he was good at all. So I think Ollie, Ollie settled in. He, like I said, I'm more get Ollie at left guard because Garrett is not the answer at left guard. Get him there and then Cooper back and we'll see, see what we have. But yeah, I, um, I think that also matches up based on what I saw. I, we'll, we'll see where, where things go, but I'm very curious. Well, last thing here on, uh, on this recap show, fellas, through three weeks, what are you most certain about with this team? And what is your new win loss realistic expectation for this team? Uh, Ryan, go first. I'll say eight and four realistic uh, expectation, uh, I guess. I mean, I think that's, you talk about salvage, I don't, you know, maybe not prediction, uh, but you talk about salvaging this season respectable. You know, I think it's probably eight and four. And the other question was what I'm most confident in about this team. Was that it? Mm-hmm. They're still kind of what you said in the preseason. They're still either they're still really bad uh, pass defense wise. And that's a major major weakness. It's going to limit them from taking any real steps defensively this season, or just kind of the same thing. Joe Milton is is very limited in what he can do. And again, I think maybe the crazy thing about last night, you know, Tennessee's you go into the game, you say Tennessee's offense plays bad, Tennessee's defense plays bad. You would have said Joe Milton, you know, that's a big reason they played bad. He wasn't perfect by any means, but he wasn't the biggest issue uh, either. I thought he was average. And not that you would necessarily, you know, defensively you're really ever pinning it on one guy. There's no one as important as the quarterback. But Jalen McCullough, you know, <laughs> guy's pretty patronized. He actually had one of Tennessee's better games, and Tennessee's secondary was still abysmal around him. So I think those things are the two that, that stand out, at least coming out of that game. Jalen and Wesley are fine, but the thing is, they weren't targeted. They weren't doing anything over the top. They weren't really asked to do a whole lot because Graham Mertz and company weren't exactly putting a lot of pressure on the safeties over the top. So it, this wasn't really the game that I'm like, let's see what McCullough and Wesley Walker. I thought it came out and tackled tackled well, which yeah. certainly more than you can say about any other Tennessee defensive back. I would agree there. Uh, Jack, what about you? Yeah, I think it's something that a lot of people are dim-sided on, so this is why it's my take, but I'm confident that Tennessee has way more issues than just the quarterback position. And I feel like a lot of fans will say, oh, well, it's blame it all on Joe Milton because it's easy to do that. Like I said, of the four options you gave earlier, coaching, offensive line, uh, defense, and Joe, Joe would have been fourth for me. So Tennessee has a lot more issues than Joe. I feel like their secondary is probably worse than last year. Uh, The pass rush isn't as improved as I thought, if not at all. The offensive line is definitely worse than last year. They don't have the skill position players like they did last year. Yes, there's a drop-off at quarterback, but I can point to several, several, several areas to why Tennessee is struggling right now. And also, before we get to Ethan's here, something I've said that like now you see it play out, Jackson being really good for Ole Miss, the marriage that never happened that I wanted to happen, I think I talked about on this program, was like Spencer Sanders and this yeah. Tennessee offense and his mobility and him choosing Ole Miss. I understand the optics. I understand that Tennessee probably did their due diligence on bringing in another veteran guy and they just saw the writing on the wall with how Milton finished and that they weren't really going to get a real shot. But like 
Spencer Sanders in this offense, just the one year gap. I would have felt so much better. And this was like, that was my target all off season where everyone was like, no, it's Joe's team. Joe. I'm like, I don't know. I feel a lot better if you put in Spencer Sanders in this offense and what he was able to do uh, in Oklahoma state. And now he's just not going to play because Jackson darts really good for Ole Miss. And he kind of chose wrong for his last year of college eligibility. And I just feel like that's a marriage that it's going to be a big, what if for me is what Spencer Sanders would have looked like in a one year window uh, with this group. Cause I think he actually would have thrived um, and, covered up some some stuff doesn't fix everything but to spencer sanders i would have um really liked to see in this offense for a year ethan what about you my prediction is also eight and four i think nine and three is possible but like i mean after after watching that game against florida i'm not going to go out and say confidently that tennessee's going to win nine games this season i'm 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 hesitant to even say they'll win eight unless major changes are coming but that's definitely something that tennessee can look for um as far as what i'm pretty confident in Unfortunately, I'm pretty confident that this whole turnover thing that Tennessee has just not been able to do and not been able to force any turnovers, I think that's here to stay. I don't think that's going to change because, I mean, you got to have at least one uh, of the two following things I'm about to say. You have to have either a good pass rush, like a good pass rush to be getting, I don't know, someone uh, like Graham Mertz who's behind a not good offensive line that Tennessee made look pretty good on Saturday. Um, you got you to have a good pass rush so you can start messing with these college quarterbacks. And to make up for that, if you don't have a good pass rush, you've got to have a pretty decent sec- secondary. And right now, Tennessee doesn't have either of those. Um, so uh, unless something seriously changes, unless Tennessee just, I don't know, meets, uh, meets an offensive line that kind of struggles, especially, you know, a team that's turnover prone, even then I'm not really sure Tennessee is going to be able to really force the turnovers that they need to, you know, kind of give themselves a break every once in a while. I think no matter what, with the way this season is unfolding and we can end here, I think there are going to be major staff changes after this year. Cause I think the wins, I think you're looking worst case scenario, seven and five still, but I think seven and five is enough that you have massive staff changes. Eight and four, you probably have to do one, maybe two, but I think what we're seeing is there's no way like Hypel did a heat check with the internal promotions and moving around stuff here, but I just, the way this season's going and with the game still left in the schedule, my gut tells me you're going to have like, this is, I would be floored if Willie's back. I mean, this is the last year of his contract. Um, you already brought in like the maybe internal option with what's it? Uh, is it Charles Robinson? Uh, the same yeah, guy. I think so. uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's the internal guy already sitting and waiting. And then you have um, Tim Banks. We'll see what happens there. But also, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know if you're gonna be able to run it back if this offense is clunky all year long joey halsey obviously very important so it's not like he's going anywhere but i think maybe it's jerry mack maybe it's uh, kelsey ba- or uh, kelsey pope i don't think is going anywhere alec Allen would be really hard to do that after one year but uh, i don't know i think my gut tells me they're going to be hypo is going to be forced to make significant changes to his staff and maybe go outside the hypo immediate family tree uh to get this thing wrong because he's now top 10 highest paid coach in the sport he got a big raise this offseason the expectations in the bar is higher and i don't think seven and five will sit well with a lot of folks um year three after building off what happened in year two is, is my god i'm not saying he's on the hot seat himself but i think i would be pretty surprised if there aren't massive changes especially on defense after this year because the town's not there <laughs> and i just think they're gonna they're gonna continue to struggle i don't think there's a lot of answers right now that they can throw out and fix a lot of this stuff to this point and like you said ethan i don't think the turnovers are coming and if they're not coming and the defense is just kind of pretty soft 
I think by and large, then you're just going to have more problems throughout the course of the year. I just, I wish I was more optimistic about the defense, but I just, I'm pretty down. And I think the, by, and this was something I did not want to be right about before the year that I said in the podcast, the secondary is worse than what it was a year ago. I don't know how that's possible, but, but it, it, it's somehow worse. Yeah. One of my uh, final thoughts, and this is going back to your Spencer Sanders uh, take. Uh, Tennessee, we obviously made gamble. They didn't go after anybody in the, in the transfer portal. They rode with Joe Milton. Um, like you said, I'm, I'm sure Tennessee did their due diligence. None of us have sat here and said Joe Milton was an issue last night. Joe Milton didn't play a terrible game. Florida went out and got probably the most unimpressive quarterback in the transfer portal, and Graham Mertz outplayed Joe Milton. That You, you talk about things that have stuck with me a little bit today. That's uh, just a, a general thought uh, from that game. That's It's kind of wild to think about. Jack Foster, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Always College Football this week? Yeah, we got our instant reaction up this morning that was taped after the Colorado-Colorado State game late last night. Me and McElroy holding down the fort for that one, so that was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, just uh, three episodes like always this week, and what a wild week three when the slate looked terrible. You know, yeah. just the top team struggling, of course, some upsets happening. It was a great week, and it was capped off with probably the best game of the entire week with Dion and the boys getting it done in double OT. So just all that stuff and all the good stuff over at RTI as well. And we should also say the one thing we should emphasize, so much of the SEC sucks. Like Arkansas just lost at home to BYU. If you're a Tennessee fan feeling pretty down, that's the one area where I would say, hey, yeah. a lot of SEC fans right now are feeling pretty down about where they're at. I that didn't, get my, exact... yeah. ahead, Jack. I didn't get my record prediction, but it's still mm-hmm. nine and three. Just <laughs> putting that out there. But just because that, that of the is... games and script sets sets up well so okay that's pretty still a huge win and the that means a lot got cleaned oh, up yeah. like, that's the big thing the SEC is just awful so yeah but i if you finish signing three then a lot got cleaned up and this team's pretty good by the end of the year i don't know i, I just don't think tennessee can play on the road I, so i think mizzou's a loss right now if i have to pick the, the, i can't believe i'm saying this. I, I honestly i i'm not willing to say that i think they're a loss but i think mizzou is a lot scarier than i thought they were going to be at at the start of the season for sure i mean their defense is legitimately pretty good yeah and i don't know if it's just a fluke how brady cook played against against kansas state but he looked pretty okay as well i mean you you, you he can move around he's the type of quarterback that will give this kind of tennessee defense hell like he's a bad matchup for what tennessee is bad at that's all they that's all they need Brady Cook to be is decent mm. because Luther Burden is so much fun. He is so so he's one of the best. And over the middle. Like Luther's gonna and, carve this Tennessee defense over the middle. I can already and, see the script. Oh my god. And, and say what say what you want about Eli. Yes. Say what you want about Eli Drinkwitz, but he knows how to use Luther Burden at the very least. So I, I think that could be scary. I do. I think they're beating Kentucky. Like I'll never be under Tennessee's losing Kentucky watch. Like that's just never gonna happen for me. But I do think Mizzou right now. And if that's a loss, you're looking at 7-5, I think, yeah. uh, this year. Uh, Ethan, what about you and the good folks over at Saturday Down South this week? Yeah, so we also uh, covered across all four sites, um, especially Colorado doing really well on, on Saturday Down South right now. Trying to up our coverage with that. Um, bowl projections going out tonight. Still doing that early, early in the season. We got power rankings, all sorts of stuff from our staff. And then obviously going into week four, we'll have full coverage uh, previews. Injury updates, all that fun stuff over there. There you go. Ryan Schumper, what about you over at RockyTopInsider.com? 
tons of content uh, over on the the debacle that was Tennessee's performance in Florida. A uh, bunch of different angles we talked about, podcasts from that, YouTube video from that. Uh, right up on Gerald Mincy's uh, arrest earlier this week that explains why he did not play on offense, but did play. Uh, very strange, as we discussed earlier. And then we'll have uh, plenty of stuff next day or two wrapping up Florida and starting to look ahead towards UTSA as the balls look to rebound against, thankfully for the Tennessee, a uh, roadrunner team that doesn't look nearly as, as dangerous as they did before the season. UConn, too. Uh, both UConn and UTSA looking bad out of the gate was. Who could have is, guessed that about UConn? Okay, that's enough. You, that, that's that's enough. We're not doing that. Uh, Jack, Ethan, Ryan, always a pleasure, and I'll talk to y'all next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Even on a budget. Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 